Hey, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you guys again. What an amazing morning so far to, to witness a couple baptisms, to worship with you. And uh, now we're going to jump into some time in the Word. And so if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn right now to Luke chapter 7. That's where we're going to hang out today. And I just want to say welcome again. Thank you for joining us online. If you're joining us online this morning, thanks for joining us in person. We are in week two of a sermon series titled, What Do You Know About Grace? And in this sermon series, what we're going to do is we're going to take six weeks to, to unpack some very amazing Jesus encounters, Jesus encounters that teach us different things, different facets about God's amazing grace in our lives. And the big idea is this, Jesus is full of grace. Jesus has grace upon grace. We read in John 1.16 that for, from his fullness we've re received grace upon grace, on top of grace. Okay, so Jesus is full of grace. And I just want to warn you that today's passage Today's passage is a bit bizarre because in today's passage, it kind of sounds like the beginning of a bad joke. Okay, now I've never been good at jokes, which is why I don't share them very often. My daughter, she loves knock-knock jokes, and uh, she she, she's great at jokes. I'm not very good at jokes, but I'm going to share with you guys. I think I kind of debated this, but I'm going to share it with you. Okay, I came across a corny joke. You guys like cheesy jokes? All right, so I came across a cheesy bar joke. So here's the bar joke. So a priest... A pastor and a rabbi, they go into a bar. And they're in the bar, they begin to debate over who's better at what they do. And so they decide to challenge each other. They're like, you know what, this will, sell, this will solve it for us. How about we all go off into the woods and let's see who can be the one, first one to convert a bear to our religion. So they go out into the woods and they, they start their, their, you know, proselytizing. They come back to the bar a few weeks later. And, uh, and they start talking. The priest goes first. He's all, you know what? Hey, guys, I found a bear. He was over by the river. I started talking with him, sharing the Lord with him. And now he comes to Mass every week. And the pastor's really impressed. And so the pastor's like, well, you know what? I saw a bear over in the clear over there. And I, I was preaching the word and sharing the gospel and reading the Bible. And that bear came to Christ. Now I'm going to baptize him this Sunday. I don't know how, but we're going to get that bear baptized. And then they look over at the rabbi, and, and the rabbi is all messed up. He's got, a, he's got a broken collarbone, a broken arm. He's got scratches and bruises all over him. And they're like, what happened to you? And he's like, you know what? Thinking back, I probably shouldn't have started with circumcision. Okay, so. <laughs> that's my attempt at a bar joke. All right, here we go. So why did I share that with you? Today's sermon, today's passage is bizarre. It sounds like the beginning of a bar joke. Okay, three people walk into a room. Jesus, a Pharisee, and a prostitute. What in the world is going to happen next? Luke 7.36, go ahead and turn there. Today's sermon is titled, Grace Saves. Turn to Luke 7.36, I'll pray and we'll jump in. Father God, I thank you so much for the people in this room. I thank you so much for the baptisms that we witnessed this morning. Two young girls who love you and publicly, fearlessly declare their love for you in front of their church family. What an amazing moment. Pray that you'd bless them. And Lord, right now, as we open up your word, I pray that we would have sensitive and soft hearts. I pray that we would have uh, just a, a desire to be obedient to you. And that your Holy Spirit would pierce through into our souls. Give us love. Give us love for the world. Give us love for you. Give us uh, fearlessness to repent of sin, to turn and 
follow you wholeheartedly. And I just pray that you would bless our time this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, preparing for today's message was a bit challenging because the more I studied it, the more I realized how heartbreaking this scene really is. I told you there are three characters in this scene. There's a Pharisee, there's a preacher named Jesus, and there's a prostitute. And in this scene, this, you, you, you get this sense of, of the, the heaviness of this prostitute's life. Now, when it comes to prostitution, it's probably no surprise that most people who have taken on that kind of profession, they didn't grow up wanting to be a prostitute. It's not something that you aspire to be. It's actually, uh, there, there are ways of like rating how dangerous jobs are. It's one of the most dangerous jobs in America. Okay, it's a, it's a, it's a painful life, a loveless profession. It's not a profession that many people aspire to. It's usually something that you're trapped into or, or that you agree to out of sheer des- desperation. And so at first glance, as we talk about this, I, I just wanted to warn you, it, this might sound like too dirty of a topic to speak about in church, but if you guys read your Bibles from cover to cover, you would notice that God never shies away from these hard topics. God never shies away from, from some of the disturbing realities of our world. He talks about them. He meets people where they are. And, and, and that being said, although prostitution is a very sad profession, loveless profession, heartbreaking profession, I want to also point out that it's clearly condemned in Scripture. Leviticus 19.29 says, Don't defile your daughter by making her a prostitute, or the land will be filled with prostitution and wickedness. Deuteronomy 23 says that no Israelite, whether man or woman, may become a temple prostitute. When you're bringing an offering to fulfill a vow, you must not bring to the house of the Lord your God an offering from any of the earnings of a prostitute, whether a man or a woman, for both are detestable to the Lord your God. So, so two things happening here. One, this is a heartbreaking profession. Two, it's also condemned in Scripture. So we, we need to carry both of those as we walk through this passage. Now, what's, what's shocking, though, is this. If you were to read about Jesus' genealogy in Matthew, you would learn that there are actually two prostitutes in Jesus' family tree. One of them is named Tamar. Tamar sold herself as a prostitute to her father-in-law. It was a despicable scene. Another one is Rahab. Rahab was the prostitute in Jericho who hid the spies and protected them from being destroyed. And what's so interesting about Rahab the prostitute is that she's actually mentioned in the hall of faith, a great person of faith like Abraham. When the Bible talks about this big list of amazing people of faith, a prostitute is listed in that list. Her name is Rahab. Well, the temptation for Christians is to avoid talking about passages like these because they're dirty or they're too taboo or they're deemed irrelevant in the church, like surely God's people don't need to talk about this. This is, this is for everybody else. But as I researched this week, I discovered some disheartening truths. Did you know that one in ten men in America have paid for sex? One in ten. And did you know that human trafficking profits roughly $150 billion a year. The average age of of a young girl trapped in this form of prostitution, trapped in human trafficking, is 13 years old. 
And you know what the gateway to prostitution is? The gateway to this kind of lifestyle for those who choose to step into this lifestyle? The gateway is pornography. And pornography brings in more revenue each year than the NFL, NBA, and MLB combined. And the average age of first exposure to pornography is dropping every year. Because we have devices in our hands, devices in our pockets. We have internet on our TV, internet on our computers, internet on everything our kids touch. And so the, 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 the number for first exposure, the age, is dropping year after year. Right now it's around 10 or 11 years old, the first time a child sees an explicit image. Bottom line is this. Selling sex is something good that America is good at. America is good at selling sex. It's one of its most profitable, profitable pastimes. There is a sexual addiction problem in America. There is. And that's why we shouldn't be afraid to talk about passages like our passage today. Here's the other thing I wanted to point out to you guys this morning, and it's this. Religious people, religious people usually show very little love towards the sexually damaged and confused. For those who are struggling sexually, they've been damaged, they're confused, whatever it is that they're facing, guess where the last place they'll, they'll go to is? Church. Why? Because they feel like they can't actually share what they're going through with anybody. They feel like they'll be judged, they feel like they'll be hated on. They feel like they'll be excommunicated and pushed to the side and treated as less than human. And so instead of going to the church when people are sexually confused or sexually hurt or whatever they're dealing with immorality-wise, they go out into the world and the world traps them further and further and further and further and takes them deeper and darker than they ever wanted to go. But Jesus wasn't that way. Jesus was gentle with the sexually confused. He was gentle with the sexually immoral. Didn't mean that he left them in their lifestyle. It didn't mean that he didn't point out the sin in their lives. He would say things like, go and sin no more, right? So he'd forgive them and change them and help them and send them on their way. And, and hopefully they have a community around them to, to live a new lifestyle. But, but for many people, if they're struggling with these kinds of topics, the last place they're going to go for help is the church. And we have to change that for our community. Well, with that in mind, let's read our passage this morning. This is what it says. Now, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table, behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at Jesus' feet, Weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now let's pause here for a second. So this is the introduction to our passage. And I just want you to feel in your gut just how bizarre this scene really is. There are three main characters in this passage. The first main character is a man named Simon. Simon the Pharisee. He's character number one. And, and what we know about Simon is that Simon invited Jesus to attend a dinner party at his house. Now, these ancient dinner parties are a little different than what we're used to seeing, because in these ancient dinner parties, these were actually a public spectacle. Okay, so these happen in public, 
they were a form of public entertainment. And this is what would happen. So if somebody famous or somebody renowned or somebody who was growing in popularity, popularity entered into your town, if you were a somebody in that town, you would have that person over for dinner. And when you'd have that person over for dinner, everyone in town would learn about it and they'd all show up to watch what you guys talk about, to listen in, to get close to the action. And so it was like public entertainment. Oftentimes these dinners, they, they would happen outside on a lifted uh, platform where everybody can see. So you come in the house and it's packed in the house. You go outside, it's a lifted platform. People are listening into this dinner and they're watching and they're curious because this was one of the ways that you would hear from the greatest teachers and speakers of the time. Well, on the surface, it sounds like Simon, this Pharisee, was being very hospitable to Jesus. But last week, we used a different word when we were talking about Pharisees. You guys remember what we, what we said? There are three kinds of people in the room at all times. There's number one, do you remember? The skeptics. Simon was a skeptic. He wasn't being hospitable. He wasn't actually welcoming Jesus as somebody who would welcome in a friend. Okay? He was welcoming Jesus into his home around his buddies in order to find a way to trap Jesus because Simon was a skeptic and so were his friends. Well, character number two in this story was uninvited. This person was not allowed at this party. This person would normally avoid these kinds of parties. Character number two was the prostitute, the sinful woman, the sinful woman. Okay, when, when you see that phrase, sinful woman, in the New Testament, there, there's no other, there, that phrase is used to describe a prostitute. If you look at other translations, it makes it a little more strong. So this, this woman, not invited to the party, would normally never step foot in a Pharisee's home, would normally never engage with religious people because all she's known of religious people is that religious people hate me, despise me, think I'm dirty and nasty and don't want nothing to do with me. Why would I ever get close to them? But this woman puts aside her fears and her labels, her grief and her pain, the embarrassing feeling of walking out in public and everybody knowing who she is and what she does for a living. She boldly walks into this Pharisee's house, walks up to Jesus, gets down near his feet, and begins weeping. She has what you might call an emotional breakdown in the presence of Jesus. Weeping at his feet. And although she doesn't say a word in this passage, the scene, it, it speaks volumes because of her actions. Her actions in this passage break literally every single cultural norm of the day. First, she lets her hair down. Okay, women in this culture would not let their hair down in front of anyone who wasn't their husband. This was, this was sexually provoking act in people's eyes. She touched a man who wasn't her husband. This was grounds for divorce, an awful crime. She washes Jesus' feet with her tears. She pours expensive oil all over his feet. She interrupts the party. She interrupts the, the, the dinner, and she starts breaking down at Jesus' feet. And Jesus lets her. He doesn't yell at her. He doesn't condemn her. Last week, Jesus was preaching a paralyzed man was lever, lowered down into his presence, landed at his feet. Jesus didn't say, get out of my presence. He reached down, healed, and touched the guy, and the guy went away cleaned and healed, right? 
Jesus has an epic ministry. He's interrupted time and time and time and time again. And guess what? Every time he's interrupted, he looks at the people in the eyes. He listens to their stories. He cares about their hurts. He doesn't worry about what the world might be saying in the moment. This person needs Jesus, and so they're going to get Jesus. Well, when the Pharisees saw this, he is embarrassed. What is a woman like this doing in my house? It's one thing that I already have Jesus, this teacher that we don't even like in my house, that I'm trying to trap. Now I got a prostitute in my house. What does that say about me? What's, what are my friends going to say when they leave this party? And so he begins thinking, but what he doesn't realize is that, that when you think around Jesus, Jesus can't even hear your thoughts. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet... He would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. He's like, man, Jesus is a joke. That's what he's thinking. If he was really a prophet, he wouldn't let this girl get near her, near him. If he was really a prophet, he would never even let this person touch him. If he were really a prophet, what the, what the Pharisee didn't know is that Jesus wasn't just a prophet. Jesus was the prophet. And what, what he also didn't know was that the tears that were being spilt on Jesus' feet were actually sacred in the eyes of God. These were sacred tears. These are the tears that Martin Luther calls heart water. Tears that pour out of a, re, a repentant heart. Tears that that come from years of shame and remorse and guilt and carrying around burdens and always feeling dirty and always feeling unloved and never feeling good enough and always feeling far from God and despised by the world. She comes in the presence of Jesus. Jesus doesn't push her away. Jesus doesn't condemn her. Jesus doesn't yell at her. She breaks down heart water pouring out of her heart onto the feet of the Savior of the world. Martin Luther says this about heart water. He says, all who call on God in true faith, earnestly from the heart, will certainly be heard and will receive what they've asked and desire. These were tears of remorse. Tears of repentance. But Simon couldn't see it. All Simon can think about was the fact that a prostitute, somebody in his community with a bad reputation, was coming into his house and ruining his reputation. That's what religious people are like. They, they have a hard time seeing the pain behind someone's lifestyle. They have a hard time seeing the pain that these people have endured. And not to accept prostitution. That's not the, that's not the goal of this message. The goal of this message is to love people like Jesus loved people. And to realize that there's always a story behind people's actions. Listen to this quote from a prostitute. This is what she says. She says, I don't know what real love is. I don't know what it looks like, what it feels like, what it acts like. The only kind of love I've ever had is the one-way kind. The kind that's paid for in goods and services and evaporates like dew in the morning or explodes into violence in the middle of the night. I don't know what it looks like to, to be loved. I don't know what it looks like to feel loved. I don't even know how to love. 
That's what this woman had been enduring. I read this week that 95% of prostitutes are physically abused. 95% of them will have a gun pointed at their head at some point in their profession. No one signs up for that. No one said, that's what I want to be when I grow up. Jesus realized that with this woman. We don't know the circumstances behind her becoming a prostitute, but Jesus was willing to slow down and actually look her in the eye and, 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 and notice that she was carrying around with her a heavy burden, a burden of guilt and shame. Who knows what she had been enduring over the years, how many nights she'd been convinced that no one could possibly love her. She was tormented in her soul, and then she met the tender love of Jesus, a real man. A real man, tender and strong, stood up for her, loved her, even in the midst of controversy. Which leads to the third character in the story, who's Jesus. Jesus is the preacher, so we see a Pharisee, a prostitute, and a preacher, all in the same room. Sounds like a bar joke, doesn't it? It's really a bizarre scene. It's easy for us to kind of read through these passages really quick and be like, oh, that was cool. But you got to imagine it. Jesus. Jesus in this passage is in the weirdest position. He's got a Pharisee on one side. He's got a prostitute by his feet. That's crazy. Okay, this is an epic ministry that Jesus lived out. Here again is a reminder that Jesus, we talked about this last week, Jesus is incredibly personal. He'd answer your questions, dine in your home, Get to know you on a personal level. It didn't matter where you came from or what you did. He is going to get to know you. But here in this passage, Jesus finds himself in a strange predicament because uh, somebody who's unwanted at the party crashes the party. A woman of the streets is in the home of a man of the cloth. What an embarrassing scene. But what does Jesus the preacher do? Well, rather than be embarrassed by this episode, Jesus does something that's incredible and amazing and, and doesn't surprise us because we know about Jesus, but, but we should really consider how it might impact our own lives and how we treat other people. Instead of pushing this person away, Jesus embraces her. Jesus embraces sinners. And the reason this is good news, and Jesus is going to get to this in just a moment, the reason Jesus embracing sinners is good news is because the prostitute wasn't the only sinner in the room. You know who else was a sinner in that room? Everybody, everybody in that room was a sinner. The prostitute was the only one who acknowledged it. You see, her sin was on the outside. It was clear. It was obvious to everybody. Everybody else, their sin was on the inside. No one saw it. They could hide it. Jesus embraces sinners. Some of you came into the room this morning, and you don't feel like the Pharisee who has, you know, this little hidden sin. You feel like the prostitute who has this sin that's out there and that you can never leave behind and, and that it's just haunting you and destroying you. I want you to know, Jesus will embrace you. Are you an addict this morning? Jesus will embrace you. Are you sexually confused, sexually immoral? Jesus will receive you. Jesus will embrace you. Have you been damaged by somebody? Are you a criminal? Are you a thief and a liar? Are you a fraud? Jesus will embrace you. 
some people that's making you very uncomfortable right now because you might be thinking that I'm saying that all those lifestyles are, are okay, and they're not. But Jesus meets people where they are. He embraces sinners where they are, and it's his grace. That's why we're talking about what do you know about grace, because it's his grace that changes lives. It's his grace that turns people into a new direction. It's God's amazing grace. Well, Simon didn't want to see this woman receive grace. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. And Jesus knew exactly what he was thinking. And so this is what Jesus said to him. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Now, the illustration here is very simple. Jesus hears what Simon is thinking. Okay, that's the, that's the second time already in this series. Last week, when the paralyzed man was lowered at Jesus' feet, Jesus knew that the crowd was thinking, the Pharisees were thinking, how can this guy forgive sins? Now again, Jesus, in private, he knows what people are thinking. And so he responds to Simon's thoughts with a simple illustration. And it's, it's simple. Two people are in debt. One of them owed the equivalent of $10,000. The other owed $100,000. If both of these people are forgiven, which debtor is going to be more grateful? And Simon says, well, I guess the one with the bigger debt. And he says, Absolutely. Now let's apply this illustration to the woman and Simon. The woman's sin is easy to spot because it's on the outside. She's a $100,000 sinner. Simon, though, doesn't see any debt in his life. When in reality, he's a $10,000 sinner. Who needs Jesus that day? Both. Who received Jesus that day? Only one. The thing that held Simon back from acknowledging his own guilt and his own shame is, is something called self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness, I have a definition I wrote this week, is, is the belief that you're morally superior to those around you. Self-righteousness is an overconfidence in your own righteousness that hinders you from seeing your own sin and your own personal need for a Savior. That's self-righteousness. You see, self-righteous people, and this is something for those of us who have been at church for a long time, this is one of our temptations. Self-righteous people, over time, they have a problem seeing their own sin, but they love pointing out everybody else's sin. That's self-righteousness. Self-righteous people don't think that they need help, but man, everyone around them sure does. Self-righteous people are those who look down on others. Jesus points out here that there's no room for self-righteousness. Self-righteousness actually might be the worst sin of all. You know why? Because self-righteous people don't believe that they need the righteousness of God. Because they're good on their own. And if you don't believe you need the righteousness of God, then will you ever truly be saved? You can't. Your righteousness on its own is not enough for salvation. You can't live good enough. You can't follow the rules strongly enough. 
You don't have what it takes on your own to be saved, to save yourself. Jesus is the standard of righteousness. And all of us come up short of Jesus. But guess what? Jesus lived righteously for us. Jesus lived righteously so that the unrighteous could call upon his name. Their sin would be imputed to him and his righteousness would be imputed to us. That's the gospel, my friends. That's the gospel. The great exchange, we call it. Our sin for Jesus' righteousness. Well, Simon's self-righteousness caused him to misjudge everybody in the room. He misjudged the prostitute, the woman. He thought that her coming there, letting her hair down, was some kind of sensual act. It was really a spiritual act. He misjudged Jesus because he thought that Jesus was a phony and a fraud, that he wasn't really a true prophet, and he forgot the fact, he failed to see the fact that Jesus was the capital P prophet. And he misjudged himself because at that dinner, all he saw was a bunch of sinners in need of God and needed to get out of his house because they're going to make his home dirty when in reality he needed God just as much as everybody else. So what did Jesus do? Turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, you see this woman? I entered your house and you gave me no water for my feet, but she's wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she hasn't ceased to kiss my feet. You didn't anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many. Yeah, she's a 100K sinner. Her sins, which are many, are what? Forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? The skeptics are still there. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. A few weeks ago, I had the staff over at my house for a chili cook-off. And uh, we had a ton of fun. The staff and their families that were there. We made some food. We had a good time hanging out together. Marcus won. Okay, Marcus has the best chili. Marcus, I know you're watching online. He's not with us today. He was the chili champion. Um, but we had to prepare to have the staff over, right? Now, what if, what if, so my wife, by the way, my wife is great at hospitality, okay? She's the type who, when you come over, she has food out, cookies out, charcuterie board, drinks, everything for you, music playing, she decorates, cleans, like she's just really good at that. People come over, we have people over a lot, and we just love people in our home, and she, she makes time in our home a good experience. But what if, when we had the staff over that night, what if we decided to just throw hospitality out the window? What if we decided not to greet anyone at the door, not to put any drinks on the table, not to find anything fun for their kids to do while they were stuck in our house for a couple hours? What if we just treated them like, you know what, we, we don't care that you're here. We're just doing this because we have to. Come on in and, and we're going to carry on with what we're doing. You carry on with what, what you're doing. How, how do you think the staff would feel? I don't think we'd have a good working relationship, right? That would be very discouraging and offensive. We took care of our home and prepared our home because we loved the staff. We, we made sure that we tried to have a good time with that night and have it ready that night because we care. I love our team here. Amen. You guys love our team here? We have an incredible team here. 
When you care about somebody, when you love somebody, when you really want to get to know somebody, you go out of your way to make sure that they have a good experience. Did Simon go out of his way at all for Jesus? None. He didn't even show basic hospitality. Jesus said, you didn't even greet me at the door. It was customary in those times that if you're a guest in someone's house, you would kiss the guest on both sides of the cheek on their way in. And, and, and be it that they walked around in sandals and, and dirty roads and dirty environments, you'd also have somebody ready to wash their feet. If they were really a valued guest, you'd wash their feet, you'd give them a kiss, you'd take them to their seat, you'd make sure that their head was anointed with oil, that they, that they were treated as special. The only person in this story who, pre- who treats Jesus as special is the woman who was not even invited to the table. She's the one who treats him as special. Everyone else tosses Jesus aside. And so the bizarre scene concludes with the sweetest words a person could ever hear. A very interesting scene where the unwanted person actually becomes Jesus' guest of honor. And the one who's supposed to be hospitable actually becomes the villain And Jesus looks over at the woman and he says the sweetest words a person could ever hear in their entire life. If you've never heard these words, I don't want you to leave this place today without hearing these words and receiving these words and knowing that this can be true of you. He looks at this woman carrying around this debt and this guilt and this shame and this pain and this thought that no one loves her and will ever love her, that she can never be clean. He looks at her And he says these words, four simple words, your sins are forgiven. This is why I'm in ministry. (laughs) This is why I chose to be a pastor. Actually, I didn't choose to be a pastor. God kept forcing me to be a pastor, okay? But this is why. Because when, when these words were said over my life, everything changed. If you're a believer this morning, when these words were said over your life, everything changed in your world. Some of you, though, today, you've come into this place and these words have not been said over you and you feel like they can't be said over you. I want you to know that if you come to Jesus humbly, honestly, repentantly, willing to pour out your heart and soul, that heart water, okay? She didn't want to hold on to her sin anymore. She wanted to let it go. If you really want to let it go, live a new life, embrace a new lifestyle, if you really want it, Jesus says you can have it. You can have it. And so before we conclude, I I thought I'd share with you guys a real testimony of A woman who was in this kind of profession who came to Jesus. Her name is Annie. We're going to see it on the screens. Annie was a woman who worked as a prostitute as a profession. And her story is like many in her place. She had issues with her father. He was angry. She wanted to be loved. She found attention in boys. She never felt loved at home, and so she wanted to prove that she could find love somewhere else. She also wanted to prove that that she could take care of herself. And so she started selling herself, eventually started selling herself, so that she can fund a very lavish lifestyle. And, And it appeared to everyone she was being very successful. But over time, she started, it started to go downhill. She got trapped 
She was hurt. She ended up getting cancer. And when she got cancer, clients started treating her very differently, calling her all kinds of ugly names. She then became a drug addict or started dabbling in drugs at least. And when she was at the end of her rope, almost on, on the verge of death, she called out to Jesus, finally called out to Jesus. And this is the, the end of her story. I want you to show it on, or see it on the screens. She was just a prostitute. That's what I said, Jesus. Please save me. I don't know if you're real, but... I don't want to die. The ambulance came. And the doctor came up to me and he grabbed my hand. And he said, you are lucky to be alive. You have so much drugs in your system, little lady. You should be dead. God must be with you. And I knew that Jesus heard my prayer. And I laid there. And I had this peace come over me that was nothing like I had ever felt in my entire life. And I knew God gave me a second chance. It got better and I started reading my Bible. I recovered and was afraid to go to church. I'm not an ex-prostitute. Do I think if I walk in church, people are going to look at me and really love me? But I walked in that church and people embraced me. And God just really started doing that inner healing. And the Holy Spirit was just like speaking to me, telling me that I was beautiful and that I was chosen and that I was set apart and that I was a sanctified and I was a holy vessel for Him. I started to stand on Jesus' words that I'm whole, that I'm healed, that I'm pure, that I'm a virgin in Him.
So I want to close with a few questions to help us in this room apply today's message. Be honest with yourself this morning. The first question is this. What groups have you refused to love? What groups have you refused to love? The Pharisees refused to love the sexually immoral. The Pharisees refused to love this woman and and others who were like her, others they deemed too dirty, too, too far gone, unredeemable. But no one's too broken for Jesus. No one can outsend Jesus's amazing grace. And it's time for all of us, it's time for all of us to stop dehumanizing the lost and the broken. It's time for all of us to stop looking at those who are far from God and putting them in a, a category of their, of their own and, and, and acting as if they can never have a chance in the kingdom. They can never have a chance at a life with Christ because they can. Let's not dehumanize the broken. Let's not dehumanize the lost. And let's not dehumanize those we disagree with. Okay, this is not just a message for the church this morning. This is actually also a message for the world. Because in these polarizing times that we're living in today, what we're seeing is that everywhere you turn, you could find a group of people who's ready to dehumanize another group of people. If, you, if, if you're a Christian and I don't like you, then I'm going to cancel you. I'm going to gaslight you. I'm going to make sure you lose your job. I'm going to... I'm gonna, I'm going to do everything I can to make your life miserable because I disagree with you and you offend me. We see that stuff happening every day out in the world. If you're a Christian, no doubt you're feeling that. You're feeling that attack. You're feeling that shame. You're feeling that people are trying to guilt you. That stuff's happening out in the world. It's wrong. It's it's evil. It's wicked. And all I want to say is this. Let's not let that kind of attitude come into this church, right? We know how wicked it is in the world. Let's not be guilty of those same things. We are going to interact with people we disagree with. Jesus didn't cancel them. Jesus didn't dehumanize them. One of the ways to combat the toxic trends of society is to live in a different way, to, to live out a different worldview in this church. What groups have you refused to love? The second question I have for you this morning is this. Have you come to terms with the reality of your own debt? Have you come to terms with the reality of your own debt? Another problem that I see in culture, a problem in culture that has creeped into even the church is this. We are so fixated on everybody else's problems that we can't see our own. We're so fixated on the sins of others that we never take a moment to actually look in the mirror and say, how am I contributing to this mess? Jesus doesn't want us leaving without looking in the mirror. No one is without sin. All of us need a savior. All of us contribute to the problems of the world. All of us contribute to pain and discouragement, some of the feelings that she felt. All of us are in need of God's saving grace. And and, and self-righteousness is what keeps us 
from repenting. Self-righteousness is what causes us to focus on the sins of others instead of focus on ourselves. And that's another thing that we're seeing in culture. Our culture likes to point out sins from the past, but doesn't want to talk about any sins in the present. Our culture likes to, to, to tell everybody else that they're wrong, but they won't admit to anything that they're, that they're wrong about personally. And so in the church, we're not self-righteous. We don't look down our nose at others. We're not better than anybody else. We need Jesus just as much as everybody else needs Jesus. And so we take a look in the mirror and come to terms with our own debt. Have you come to terms with your own debt this morning? And finally, number three, have you really changed? Have you really changed? The forgiven woman didn't leave that dinner a prostitute. She left a daughter of God. The only time Annie went back to the streets was to share Jesus with the friends that she had that were stuck in that way of life. She didn't go back for another reason, but to share the hope of Christ. And so one thing I want to encourage you this morning is to, to live out your faith actively, publicly, proclaim Jesus, be changed in Jesus. If you came to him with sin and guilt and whatever you were carrying, you left that at Jesus. Turn from that old lifestyle, embrace a new life in Christ and watch what he'll do as you live for him out in the world. And if you need help with this, if you need help with this, Robert from Celebrate Recovery, he's gonna be in the, in the lobby after service. He'd love to talk with you. If you have pain that you've struggled to get past, if you have anything that's just heavy on you that you have a hurt or a habit or a hangup, we want to help you get past that. Sometimes you need people around you to help you walk through that. And so Robert, he'd love to help you walk through that. If you want to talk to someone about CR, please talk to them in the lobby. He'd love to plug you in. Guys, I hope you're blown away by Jesus' amazing grace. I know that I am. We're going to pray and close with a little bit of a song. Father God, I thank you for this group today. Jesus, I thank you for your amazing grace. God, there's no doubt that there is pain in the past of uh, here. And, and, but Lord, you also, you want us to, to look at our own lives and, and realize how we contribute now to this world. And I also pray that, that, we wouldn't, uh, that we wouldn't dwell on the past hurts even in this church, but that we would look right here, right now at what's in front of us and make the most out of what we have. I pray, God, that we would acknowledge our debt, that we would acknowledge your grace, that we'd live changed, redeemed lives because of the blood of Jesus. And we pray this in his name and all God's people said, amen. amen.